Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is November 2nd, 2021. These are the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. The question we ended with last week, could we have been better prepared? Dan makes some interesting points as we continue on with part two of my conversation with Dan Clancy, lead vocalist for Lighthouse. Maybe the past 21 months has given us some time to pause and reflect. Grab the moments. Don't waste the time we have. Take a leap of faith while also considering how we could, in some ways, be better prepared for that just-in-case scenario. A personal opinions start to rear their ugly heads, that's right? That's the whole point of this, is personal opinions. Okay. Um, governments have failed us continuously over and over and over. Case in point, SARS was the wake-up call. That was the big wake-up call for us. Heck, we had a major concert to raise money for it. We had ACDC and the Rolling Stones and, you know, Rush and you name it. There was anybody and everybody there, right? Yep. And that was the call. And how long ago was that? 15 years ago? At least, yeah. So you would have thought that the people in charge at the time or people who had been our elected officials would have had some kind of a consortium and provincially and federally gotten together and say, okay, listen, this is a warning sign. Let's make sure we pay attention to what we need if we have a Spanish flu, because this is sort of like the, the tip of the iceberg right here, and put things in place like we didn't have. Um, and at the same time, it was only about 10 years ago, I think, that they started working on mRNA science. 10, 15, 10, 12 years ago. Oh, it was yeah, a Canadian, it, it, I think. Well, at least, Moderna. because my husband, when he was ill with his cancer, he was on part of a number of trials. Mm -hmm. And he passed away eight years ago, eight years ago, October. So okay. he, um, because of those trials, he survived four years, so yeah, 12 years ago. So they were starting to come up with gene therapy and mRNA yep. stuff mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been around for a while. So had they probably maybe maybe expedited the focus and actually when SARS happened after it happened because we did we we really focused on it here in Canada maybe not as much in the states but here in Canada particularly we did to have things in place to have what we would figure okay we're going most of the diseases and things that we're going to have are respiratory respiratory in nature they really are, or the nervous system, or both. You know, so let's let's do whatever we need to do. Let's invest monies in those technologies and those R and D types of focuses, and um, be ready. Let's try to be the global health center. You know, and that would have been a smart thing to do. It would have made a lot of jobs available to people and. I, I just think that we missed the boat big time, and it's just sad. You know, when you look at the history of penicillin and, you know, things, the, some of the innovations in the health system that Canada has been responsible for globally. Diabetes, polio. Oh, yeah. Smallpox. It's disconcerting. Anyway. It's sad. I'm going to get down off my soapbox. That's okay. <laughs> So we should have planned is really the answer, and yeah. we weren't. Yeah. Now, as a country, now if you take it down at a low, lower, lo, more local level, mm -hmm. in our personal lives, mm -hmm. you know, Boy Scout motto is always be prepared. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we got toasted on this one. We weren't. Could we? Should we? We just completely, everybody completely missed the boat. I don't think any of us thought it would ever come to be. No. Because we, generally speaking, in a very affluent country, we're most, for the most part, we're oblivious to the pains and suffering of the rest of the world. We really are. We're almost an island unto ourselves, even though we've got our neighbors to the south of us. So we always, as much as we try to be as humanitarian as we can be, 
boy, we're not all that in a bag of chips, as they say. Do you think artists in general are more flexible or adaptable to change? Maybe more creative approaches? Now, I keep, I've keep i said this in every single interview since I interviewed Samantha Martin from Delta Sugar. Mm-hmm. She was the first one to utter the word pivot. And I'd never heard that before. And I've had it, you know, and it's become a, the, the latest buzzword, I think, now. So with, with sending the word pivot aside, I mean, artists have to face things, different things. Their lives are changing constantly all the time. So are they more flexible or adaptable? Artists in particular. Uh, in Musicians their, is what I'm, you know. Yeah, and in their in their creativity, you mean, yeah. too, right? Um, well, I, I think that, yeah. Artists generally find inspiration in just about anything. And when you have something of this nature come, it's almost like, wow, gold mine. You know, you can go in so many different directions. Empathetic, frustrating, sad, happy, hopeful, pissed off. So creatively, artists can go in so many directions. And we've already heard that uh, from some of the releases you know, and some of the streamings that we've been listening to as of late uh, from the full range of demographics and musicians and styles, right? So, yeah, I mean, the, we artists always find something, you know, from, from what the world is doing and what's happening to the world at any given time. And this is, this is basically a, an opportunity for them to use, use what they what they feel they can draw out of this time. Maybe think outside the box, do something a little bit different. Yeah, you know what? I, I really think that, the, you know, with the Driveway Concert Series and with the Deck Series, I really think that the a lot of artists should get back to the grassroots. Pack up your car, put a fantastic little sound system there that sounds incredible, charge 20 bucks a person, go play for two hours, Give some back to um, someone in one of their families who's struggling with ALS. The church basement. That's it. The, the, the know, grassroots. That's, that's the grassroots, and that's that's we, the people I I that started this whole interview. Yes. Thought process for me was what's happening with these people. Grassroots. Yeah. And so, actually, Pat, in a, in a funny way, you and I are basically kind of establishing that again in our own worlds. Like I'm doing the driveway concert series thing. You know, there might be 50 people, might be 30, might be, wow, 75 people. Whew, that's incredible. Um, that's enough. That's more than enough. Just to come and enjoy the music. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Streaming has also become very popular. Um, mm. And when, of course, when the pandemic first started, everybody was on Facebook. Now, you wouldn't know this. You probably heard about <laughs> what it. What is that? But... <laughs> You would, you know, I mean, you'd go into Facebook and you'd have 15, you know, so they're all streaming from the bathroom, the bedroom, the the back deck, the front porch, the back lawn, whatever. I mean, they were just, everybody was streaming. Right. Streaming was, yeah. you know, doing a little bit. I mean, a lot of the younger bands were, were doing it on occasion. They'd put together mm-hmm. a little show as a marketing tool. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and that was fine. I'm having a show this. This is what you're going to hear at the show. And they, they were doing a good job for the grassroots. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pandemic hit and everybody hit the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't matter how good or how bad you were. And then the older, more established bands got involved. Then Facebook shut a lot of it down. Um, that got into SoCan and, and ASCAP and all oh. the rest of it, which was, in my personal opinion, was a bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. but they shut it all down. Mm-hmm. So now it's gone from your living room mm-hmm. to um, large promotion, concert promoters doing this in the Horseshoe. They've been doing it up in, uh, there's a uh, place up in Owen Sound. There's yeah, um, the Empire an, Theater the in Empire, Belleville. Mark, uh, yeah. Yes, the Empire Theater in Belleville. Um, the, the Horseshoe Tavern is putting on a ho- Hootenanny, some sort of Hootenanny series now. Cool. But these are all professionally done. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. it's, and there's, now they're allowing people in the audience, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. Who owns all of this? Mm-hmm. 
because the, the the club well it's it, the clubs are putting a lot of, investing a lot of money in it yeah. the, the promoters are now starting to invest money in it mm-hmm. well yeah it's just, you know it's tv it's like watching tv or a video like you know like you said it best who owns it the isps and it's can be you know it could be online forever and ever and are you getting any remuneration from that or not or who's getting the monies and does it matter i don't know there's a lot of questions there there's a lot of questions so it just depends on how comfortable you are that that's why i outside of that one lighthouse song that we did which was a christmas mashup thing we did um i'm not into it i'm really not into it i'm into live music a very special arrangement of a leonard cohen tune Lighthouse did a special live performance of Tower of Song with Cohen in the audience. The live version was performed at Fran's Restaurant, one of Toronto's historic diners. Cohen wanted to make a definitive statement about the heroic enterprise of the craft of songwriting. In the early 80s, he called the work Raise My Voice in Song. His concern was the aging songwriter and the necessity to transcend one's own failure by manifesting as the singer, as the songwriter. He had abandoned the song, but one night in Montreal, he finished the lyrics and called an engineer and recorded it in one take with a toy synthesizer. My friends are all gone. My hair is gray I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent Every day In the town of song I said to Hank Williams, how lonely does it get? But Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me. Tower of song in the tower of song I was born like this I had no choice I was born with a gift of a golden voice and 27 angels from the great Tower of Song So you can stick your little pins In that voodoo doll I'm very sorry baby Doesn't look like me at all And I'm standing by the window Where the light is strong You know it's strong The poor and 
power down the track. But you came from baby long after I'm gone. I'll be speaking to you sweetly, Lighthouse, we've never had a video. I don't think Lighthouse has ever had a video. It's just footage from live shows that, you know, snippets here and snippets there. Or from a TV show that they did with the CBC or, you know, back in the day, whatever the case might be. But honestly, there's never been a Lighthouse video. Maybe that's why we're not so popular. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to say. There's just too many variables there to think of. But I like live music. I like the energy, the exchange. We were full circle. We started talking about this at the beginning. It's it's about that connecting. And, you know, hey, how are you? And then after the show, you go down and you, you talk to people. And you go, well, what do you do? Oh, well, I play guitar. Really? You know, and you have conversations with people. Uh, you can still do that online, but boy, I just don't get. I just don't get it. it yeah, I, I like live music, so I've sort of basically tucked myself away and created while all of this has gone on. And now we're starting to get back into the to the performance part of it. Now we can share some of that creation. Well, I keep thinking back to the '60s mm. and the '70s. And, and even prior to that, but that's the closest to me in my memory banks. You know, world events held such an impact on music, huge impact, especially, you know, the Vietnam War and the oh, civil rights yeah. movement. And if you fast forward that to the last couple of years, yep. we may not have a war, we have a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We have a civil rights movement mm -hmm. because we have Black Lives Matter. We also have the indigenous problem, and it's not just in Canada. It's North American-wide. Mm. It influenced music back then. Do you think, with all the creativity that's been going on with musicians behind closed doors, mm -hmm. that we're going to see that affect the music that's going to come out of this? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get chastised for this, but I think that society has become numb and accustomed to everything. I mean, someone got shot in Toronto. Okay. So what? I'm not trying to be rude or despair, or, you know, yep. the significance of what that is, because it is terrible. But it's become a daily thing. Um, gaming, you know, blood and, you know, uh, I think over the last 15, 15 years, we've desensitized ourselves so much that it's almost become acceptable that our behavior has gotten out of control. And so musically, the generation, they're so used to growing up with that. The, you know, whereas with us, we, we might have heard about it maybe on the news, because now the news agencies and everybody who's involved with that, they got to get the next story because right. everything's online and everything's in social media. So we got to jump on that board, on board that fast or else they'll scoop us because we got to sell. So the whole world is gone crazy. In many ways, we're getting too much information. 
it's just saturation. And so the funny thing is we're getting all this information and it's hard to find something that is really unique. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yep. I felt, I found that because there was less attention to everything going back into the 60s and the 70s, that the creative was uh, just a little bit better. Not as what I would call shallow. I find a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there now that's sort of like shallow. It's just not, and, and uh, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, but there's a lot of negativity. There's a huge amount of negativity. You know, I look there. at all the videos, say the top 20 in Billboard right now, and I'm listening to the music. It's a, it's a lot like, you hurt me, I don't like you. The world's going crazy. There's not a lot of happiness out there. There's not a lot of joy in the music scene. Or, you know, it's about me and that's all that matters when I'm listening to the music. It's really frustrating to me because I remember when we'd listen to things like Joy to the World. You know what I mean? Or yeah. All Right Jeremiah now. was a bullfrog. Yeah. Oh, listen to the music. Yeah. You know, you know, welcome to the hotel. You know, whatever. I mean, the music that, you know, even upwards of the, the 90s, there was some good stuff. That would get grunge. The grunge brought that movement, you know, that angst and that frustration. Ah, you know, that's kind of the starting of it. But now it's like, I don't like my life. I'm sad. <laughs> or I don't like you. you. I don't like the way you looked at me. I don't like what you tweeted about me. So I'm going to write a song about it and have a fantastic career. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's, in a many lot of ways. it's very isolating. And I mean, back in the 60s, when you had, even though they weren't, you know, famous mm -hmm. at the time, you had the Johnny Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you mm. had the birds, you had uh, love, you had everybody was working together. Yeah, I found you that. You know, too. mamas and the papas, et cetera. And, I mean, Laurel Canyon, of course, has been yeah. famous, but we had Yorkville here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We also had uh, Carnaby Street, Piccadilly Circus, and the whole yeah. when the Beatles started as well. So everybody seemed to work together. It was a more relaxed environment. Mm -hmm. Nobody was afraid of. Um, you were going to steal that from me. It was oh, just yeah. everybody kind of chilled. Absolutely. Probably and a lot of dope involved other. too, but they were very chilled, yeah. I think. I'm very supporting of one another too, yeah. musically and, and on many fronts. And hopefully that happens more now today. You know, what was re really encouraging though, I must say, which was really encouraging was the Grammy Awards this past mm -hmm. year, where they set it up like Jules Holland from, from England, right? Remember he played in the band, uh, oh, what was his band he played in? Oh, God. I can't remember. But anyway, he had a show in England where he'd have, in the round, different bands and performers. Mm -hmm. And they'd go from that band to that band, to right. that band in a round. And uh, they did that at the Grammys this year, and it was good. Billy Eilish was one of the featured yeah. artists. And what was so cool was that each of the bands were listening to each other and really grooving on what the other band was doing, you know, or the other individual was doing. That is what it's like. It's like a festival environment. Pat, we're getting yeah. back to that. And we are. Festivals it's, again. It's that collective of uh, musicians of all walks of life and all musical styles on the same bill. And so we need to do more of that instead of the separation and this isolation and all this kind of thing. Anyway. That's true. That's true. What's he? What is it? Oh, yeah, the squeeze. That's right. The what? The squeeze. That was the band. The squeeze. Good keyboard oh, player, too. okay, that you were trying to remember. Yeah. The squeeze. But his show in England was fantastic because you'd have Tom Jones and then you'd have the Black Eyed Peas and then you'd have, you know, a brand new artist from England that, you know, we don't even hear of here. And that was his show. It was a fantastic show. And so they did that at the Grammys this year. And I, I really honestly think that that, from the pandemic, that was a good thing. And I, I know it was just good in so much that it wasn't like a competition about who's better than who, who yep. sold the most records, who did this. Who cares? <laughs> That's uh, who cares? Like, really? Is this an opportunity for musicians to work together as a unifying force to reshape 
what's about to happen mm-hmm. and come to an agreement, not just among themselves, but with the clubs. Mm-hmm. Because we've gone from union scale to the tip jar. And not only in the club, but now the tip jar resides on Facebook. Yeah. And personally, I find that degrading. Um, and I'm also, the second point to that, is this going to cull the herd a bit? Are we going to get some pe- you know, artists sort of rising to the top? Because now it's going to be quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Well, the tough thing is, it's kind of like, you know, the... The lower end of the totem pole was when they had the Nova system in there where club owners would say, okay, you can play at our club, but you got to sell 50 tickets and bring your audience in, right, to, to some come and listen to you play. And there'd be several bands on that. And John, please feel free to join. Right? This is sometimes when John comes in but on remember? the conversation and becomes my part-time co-host. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, my thing is I value musicians, and people who are playing in the club scene. My first gig I did with a buddy of mine, we were called Dan and Dave. I don't know why I got first billing. I think maybe because I was taller. (laughs) And I was 16 and a half, 17, just almost turning 17, playing at a restaurant bar. Um, And I got paid $75 for three sets. I went, wow, I'm doing this the rest of my life. From the Lighthouse album, Song of the Ages, released in 1996, Will You Love Me was co-written by Ralph Cole and Dan Clancy. It's all there, great vocals and harmonies, the sexy brass section, driving guitar, skip on drums. Get your dancing shoes on. Oh. 
that's not always been the generator or motivator for me, but it was basically, wow, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. Now, having said that, I've struggled sometimes pricing myself out. That's over time because there's times when it's good and lucrative and yeah, you do that. Or and there's times when it's not so good and you want to help people out. So you, you know, you do it for free or you, but that's your decision as a person and you have to deal with that on your own. So I, so basically you're a United artist kind of, of the music business. The union does nothing. The union does absolutely nothing. I was a member of the local 149 AFFM for a good number of years. And I've, you know, my pension portion was paid by a club owner because I advocated that and blah, blah, blah. And then after a number of years as a steady engager, I had the rug pulled out from under my feet the week before Christmas one year. And I asked the union if they'd advocate on my behalf and they didn't. So I wrote a scathing letter to the, at the time, and I know the person's name, but I'm not going to name names, wrote a scathing letter and sent it in, and they basically scathing back. And I said, I don't care. You know, I'm the one who's in the trenches performing night after night um, so that this guy can sell more beer. Yep. Um, so anyway, um, I had my pension vested and basically just didn't even mention, didn't even matter at that point. But what I was trying to say is I don't think we'll see that, Pat, because club owners have no loyalties to one another. They're in competition with each other to sell beer. Uh, that's it. And but they're now going to be in competition with each other for the really good acts as well. And They are. Is it going to be a pick and choose? It's, I don't know. It's who's, who can I get cheapest? And the other bands will undercut. They've been doing it for years and they always will because there's no union involvement. There's no, this is it. If the union had any kind of clout or want to be clout, they would be in all of the establishments. Um, but they're not. They solely look after the old guard, as they say. You know, uh, and it's very frustrating for those of us who, you know, want to be, you know, so, you know, have that sort of support system. There yeah. is no union. There really is. There never has been a union. I don't know how John feels about that, but John Jameson has just joined us. Um, I'm a member of the the TMA, and uh, uh, you know, to even get you know P2s and to get over for that. So the problem is, is as musicians, and there was a time um, that there seemed to be a little bit more. You know, union went in to make sure that the bar was paid up, which yeah. made it even for everybody. So the undercutting, and there was always there was, there was always undercutting going yeah. on, yeah. going on. No Absolutely. question about it. It feels a little bit like there's an opportunity to to rewrite some of the script yeah. that was before, and and the association now. Not we don't even call it a union anymore. We call it the association to play a little bit more of a role, so that some of these things can level themselves out. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the association has no not, nobody behind them. It would be nice to uh, some of the societies, the you know, whether it be SOCAN, the association, you know, the Film Composers Guild, to come together. Yes. You know, even, even it stands to reason that bar owners should be coming together. You said earlier about you know the insurance. The insurance mm. rates have skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. Just getting band insurance has almost doubled. Yep. Right to play yep. even festivals when we start to play again. Absolutely. We can do something here, and there's strength in numbers. And if we kind of band together yep. and not worry about whether they're playing within the hundred kilometer range of uh, the last gig we did three months ago, you know, mm -hmm. start coming back together here and uh, uh, helping each other out. There's enough to go around. I agree with you. And John, it's uh, it's unfortunate that the 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 association doesn't have the wherewith or the want or the foresight to band together with SOCAN and other associations to create this protective, on par, you know, mainstream, yeah. here it is. You're going to play in the clubs. Doesn't matter if it's a new club, old yeah. club, you know, upscale, downscale. Yeah. 
here's the scale. That's right. And you cannot go below that scale. Everybody has to get that. You guys can't undercut that. You can't. And then everybody's on the docket and everybody's... And we're talking, like, scale, we're not talking ridiculous here, John. We're talking about just earning a living. That's correct. We're talking about, okay, if you're playing four or five nights, well, let's say you're playing four... Regularly, you don't get a gig that long. Right. But if you're playing a, a steady engagement, yep. four nights a week, yep. three or four, that you should be allowed to... Each musician should make 150 bucks each a night. That's a pretty good that's thing good, over the course, you know? That's correct. And if you do that every week, you know that's that's okay. Yeah, you know, you have standing gigs. You may have something that that you're playing every Wednesday at this place. Yeah. yeah. But then it gives you an opportunity to play another place down the road Correct. on yeah. Thursday. That's your circuit. That's your that establish your circuit, your circuit yeah. and you rotate bars that's all right. the rotate. And so when those bar owners can get together and be on the same page yep. when an overall umbrella association mm -hmm. can help get each guy $150. Correct. There's a way of being able to make a living of which that money is going back into our economy anyway. That's right. Because I mentioned to Pat, I said the other day, you know, we were talking about paying musicians and that sort of thing. I said, well, a plumber doesn't work for free. It's my choice if I want to work for free. But realistically... Most musicians are making less than you could make if you were working at Tim Hortons making minimum wage. It's ridiculous because by the time you figure out when you leave your household and you get to the venue, if it's an hour away, and you set up a sound system and you do all of that and then you perform for three or four hours, then you tear your sound system down, you drive home, you're away for like eight hours anyway. And don't you think that there that people who are away for eight hours should make at least minimum wage at least well at least and they're not doing that yeah. you know per person right. so they go you know most bars you go in and they go okay we're going to give you guys 50 bucks to split between the th four of you really mm -hmm. like t I, yeah. I always encourage the students i'm talking to said i know this is going to be hard for you but you guys have to respect yourselves and That's respect right. what it is you're doing. You know, people have been working and developing their craft and, their, and they've paid for lessons That's and all right. this stuff. So you've got to, like, every, everything has a value to it. Don't discredit the value that you bring to the scene. And, and plus, you're selling their beer. Exactly. People come, line up out the street. And, they're, and the club owners end up paying you what? 150 bucks? We've always had this idea that, well, you love doing what you... Of course we love what we're doing, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be remunerated for the services that we're providing. Yeah. I mean, doctors love being doctors, but they're not doing it for free. That's correct. And also look at it, almost, we have it with coffee and in, in, in other countries, fair trade. Yes. So that... People in some of these other countries, mm -hmm. Colombia, whatever those countries are, are getting, their workers are getting a fair amount of money for living. Here we are. That's we're, we're, my thing. We're in a, f a first world country with creating third world problems. I mean, it's really. And you're passing a tip and jar. The, right. And that's, that's, my, it, that's my point. So that's, that's it. So my point. For me now, I've been in the business now for, boy, started when I was 16, playing live, like playing gigs earning money for your craft you know so 16 till 40 or 64 however many years that is 48 thank you you're welcome and still going you know what i mean i figured uh, about two years ago that if i'm doing something that i i have earned a dollar a minute so in, an, in the course of an hour 60 dollars that's a fair rate you know, because I'm going to give you 100% all yeah. the way through. And so that, that kind of works for me. Now, having said that, if I, like say I'm teaching someone, that, that's a fair rate for me, a dollar a minute. But if I'm performing somewhere, the guys who are performing with me, because out of the goodness of their heart and, and what they've done and how incredible they are, because I'm fortunate enough to be able to work with great musicians, they deserve to be respected. So I'm going to take the hit. 
no musician who ever works with me on a two hour, like, uh, we're going to play for two hours. Mm -hmm. We're not doing three sets, we're doing two hours, okay? Right. But we're going to start and we're going to go right through. We're not stopping. You know, they call me a workhorse, but, but whatever. Anyway, the case might, the case is, is that they're not going to make any less than $200. I will not do that to my musicians. Yeah. And I have never done that. And so, like I said to Pat jokingly, I said, that may be why a lot of people want to play with me because I will not play them less than that. Most times honors, it's four or five hundred bucks. And it honors the people that you have surrounded yourself with it's, and what I, they have put in within their own careers so to get them. it here. So respect to get them. To, because everybody's responsible for it to continue. Yeah. One person can help get it here. Yeah. It takes everybody to keep it there. Absolutely. On that note. Somebody's got to jump on this and redefine the landscape because it's changing and it's changing fast. I think we all agree that yeah. uh, all agree. something yeah. has to be done. Um, hopefully the, the powers that be in the, in the industries have a meeting place of the minds. And, and not the pocketbooks. Oh, that's a, it. That would be a really nice thought, yeah. So come on, guys. <laughs> listen up. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Okay. You're back to Thank it. you. <laughs> Great conversation. Sean. That's what this is all about, is conversation. There's been more and more noise around the world now about the lack of live music, and yes. everybody is dying to get back to it. And we talked about, you know, who is going to be coming back and when. Mm -hmm. But do you think the pandemic has actually increased the respect or recognition of the valuable contributions of the music community? I think there will be a level of appreciation but I don't think it will advance itself more than it was prior to this shutdown. You know what I mean? Fair enough. It's hard to say. I just... But having, being a working musician all the way up through doing yeah. all of these things, yeah. uh, performing in clubs, all different sizes, all different clubs, all different venues, all different types of situations, playing at weddings, doing consultations with brides and their families, playing at funeral services, singing at someone's funeral in the choir loft, and doing everything and anything, which I have had the good fortune of being able to be able to share my gift with so many different people on so many fronts, I think it will remain status quo. I'm hoping not, but I think you're right. <laughs> you're, you're hoping it's going to be more, right? I'm hoping it's going to be more, that there's a, 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 a level of appreciation that's increased. There's always but hope, Pat. I'm always hoping. What have you found to be the most difficult or challenging during the pandemic? Not getting frustrated. Um, because as much as we're working on projects to try and keep ourselves inspired and to inspire others... We're human beings. We go through feelings of anxiety, uh, self-doubt, uh, frustration, um, complacency. We go through all of those types of things, procrastination. And so it's like everybody else, I think, Pat, honestly, I don't think there's any difference uh, between being a musician as there is being someone who uh, basically works in a grocery store. I think we all go through those personal feelings and how do we manage them? Well, we're fortunate in so much that we have the outlet of our creative, even though it's, you know, within the context of our own house or studio or whatever but i don't know I, yeah you just try and just manage and cope with uh with yourself you get you get to know yourself a little better yeah coping with yourself that's a good one some things you don't like right so can you change or are you too set in your ways to change or do you realize by looking introspectively at yourself that you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about who I am and or there's things that I'm really glad I'm able to share. I don't know. A journey of self-discovery. I think so. I think that that's, that's one of the things I think that's come out of this. I bet if you ask a lot of other artists, I remember seeing an interview early on with um, Jim Cuddy. Mm -hmm. And I think he's doesn't know if he wants to do very much anymore when it comes to live gigging and that sort of thing. Uh, at least that's the, the vibe I got from it. 
and he was very honest. And I think it's being honest with yourself about your, how you feel about yourself during this time. Uh, do you feel, do you feel you're relevant? Do you feel you're relevant mm -hmm. to um, your audience? Do you feel you're relevant to your friends? Do you feel right. you're relevant to your family? Do you feel you're relevant to yourself? So there's all these questions, these deep questions that start to, uh, ouch, bubble to the surface. <laughs> yeah, so what's one, what's one takeaway from, uh, from all of this or lesson learned? I don't like it. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah, none of us do. Well, yeah. yeah, because you know what? I think we really start looking at yourself a little bit more and you go, because you, you basically have gone through the motions. Yeah. And then now you stop and look, at, you know, look inside. Ouch. Is there a yuck factor in there somewhere? There is a bit yeah. of a yucky factor in there, you know? <laughs> Sometimes you can use that, right? It depends yeah. on, you know, how how you That's roll. pivoting. That's, piv that's when we pivot, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> pivot. You know that word? It's We're funny pivoting. that you mentioned oh, about that. Oh, my God. It's you know what that reminds you? That reminds me. There was a Friends episode where Ross was moving furniture upstairs and he had... Um, <laughs> Help. And he kept asking them to sort of, uh, Rachel was moving it with uh, Matthew, what's his name, Perry? Mm -hmm. And they were moving this couch up thing and he would go, pivot, pivot, pivot. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's another That's a good one because out of the uh, We Will Rock You, the Queen show, if you've ever seen that, it was the Video that they oh, found. Nice. And I'm I'm watching it for the first time Great. going, Video, what the hell is a Video? And it's, oh, it's a video. Video. It's a Video. Nice. I liked it. That's like, that's like Domino's. I get pizza from Domino's. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like fragile and fragile. Fragile. Oh, fragile fragile. and fragile. Yes. Well, oh. you know, it's like English. Uh, fragile sounds very I like Italian. It. I like it. What's one piece of advice you'd give a young artist today? Um, believe, um, be confident. Be confident in your abilities and be kind. Very good pieces of advice. Two positives to come out of this, one personally and one professionally. I was trying to look for the okay. silver lining. Great. We're healthy. And there's more to come. If you could choose one artist or band you'd love to perform with, preferably still breathing, who would that be? Okay, can I have more than one? Well, theoretically, it's one, but well, there I'm, have been other others I've interviewed and go, well, there's... I always wanted to sing backup vocals with Elton John's band, right, as growing up. Right? right, but if I was to get on stage with someone and do a whole show with, I'd love to get on stage with Paul Rogers. I love him. He's fantastic. Best rock singer of all time when it comes to rock, blues rock. Blues rock? Yeah. Best. Bar none. He's great. He is. What brings you joy now? Oh, this interview is fun. Yeah. Right now? What brings me joy now? This interview. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. In your general life, what brings you joy? My grandchildren. Ah. Uh. And watching my wife enjoy her grandchildren. That brings me great joy. There's a couple of other questions. That's the end of all of my questions because I've always loved the last page of the Vanity Fair magazine. And they ask these very off-the-wall questions. I did this with Jerry Mosby and Syl Simone, and it was a little bit of fun. I just glanced through them, and I, and I kind of picked them out, and I think, you know, okay, what can I ask? So, what is your greatest regret? <laughs> oh, my. Um, not being able to answer this question. Okay. Uh, my, my greatest regret. Wow. Um, honestly, I can't answer that one right now. Okay. Let's go with this one. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? An oak tree. What is your most marked characteristic? Playful. Which living person do you most admire? 
Oh, my wife. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would that be? My age. And folks, we have it with Dan Clancy, <laughs> lead vocalist from the band Lighthouse. That's the end of our conversation. Unless thank there you. was anything else you would like to add. Pat, you've been wonderful. And thank you very much for this opportunity. And I hope that, uh, I hope that this does well by you. And thank you, John. John Jameson. For being the engineer of this uh, series. Really appreciate it. It's great. Thank you, Pat. And thank you. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening. Mm -hmm.